everyone, I'm Dr Zerva, I'm at NHS GP working in the Midlands and thanks so much um, to Scrubbed In for this opportunity to share a really interesting podcast with you today. So let me take you back uh, some years ago. Uh, when I was in my GP training I spent a significant amount of time seeing sexual health patients at our local sexual health centre. Um, this was an incredibly insightful journey um, because of the uh, amount of pathology you see in an environment where you wouldn't necessarily expect to see such pathology and stories as well. And what I want to do today is uh, basically share a story from that time with you um, and see what you think. So I'm in clinic and I'm getting ready to call my next patient uh, who's a female. I walk out to go and get her. Um, she's she looks like she's in her kind of mid-twenties. She looks like she's in pain, um, so I'm a little bit worried because it's not common in a sexual health clinic that you'd come across someone who's who looks like they're in pain. So anyway, I, I take her to, you know, to the clinic room um, and she walks in basically holding her lower abdomen. So I ask her what's been going on and she basically tells me for the last week uh, she has had a increasing lower abdominal pain and she's been getting more vaginal discharge too. No fever, appetite's reducing, um, seems to lack a bit of energy, but the main thing she's been struggling with uh, is the pain. So I inquire a little bit more about the pain. It seems to be in the suprapubic area, no radiation anywhere. Um, doesn't really improve with paracetamol but it does with ibuprofen and no urinary discomfort and her bowels are opening fine. She's never had anything like this before and doesn't have any known uh, medical problems and isn't on any regular medication apart from desogestrol which she takes for contraception. In a sexual health clinic um, the, the difference in our consultation style is we obviously have to ask a lot of personal questions um, related to sex, as you can imagine. On inquiring about her um, sexual partner, she tells me she's had the same regular male partner, her husband, of the last few years. Um, they have uh, penetrative vaginal sex and oral sex and have been engaging in this as normal in the last many months, years, however long they've been together. On examination, because she looks in pain, normally in a sexual health clinic we wouldn't check a patient's observations but here we have to be a little bit more careful because this patient is significantly symptomatic so I checked her blood pressure it was about 110 over 80 her pulse was 85 regular her saturations were 98% her temperature was 37.5 and her cap refill time was less than two seconds on palpating her lower abdomen, there were no masses, but she definitely did have moderate tenderness on deep palpation in the suprapubic area. We then did a speculum examination where we could visualise inside the vagina and visualise the cervix. From here, we obtained several swabs. So one swab is the NAAT swab for chlamydian gonorrhea, and that's to basically see for any DNA of chlamydian gonorrhea. We did a gonorrhea MCS to check for sensitivities in case this is one of the infections she could have and also a general high vaginal swab which is basically to go and see if there's any other bacterial infections or something like thrush coexisting. 
Once we finish the speculum examination, uh, we also do a vaginal examination. We palpate inside of the vagina and at the same time palpate the lower abdomen, basically to see for any pelvic tenderness. And she most certainly has tenderness in both fornices. It's fairly uncomfortable for her, so we're not actually able to examine her for very long. In a sexual health clinic, another difference in comparison to most other clinic settings, for example a GP, uh, general practice or in the gynae clinics is that we actually have an in-house lab. When I took the swabs uh, I also applied that swab onto a slide and we take it into our mini lab, we stain it and we put it under the microscope basically to see if there's any obvious um, infections that we we can see that are live under that microscope. Here we don't actually see any bacteria specifically that we can identify. But what does surprise me is that there are a lot of pus cells. So you can see why she's in so much pain. The pus cells are enough of an indicator that she's got some sort of an infection. After exploring sort of differentials in my mind, which are fairly high for pelvic inflammatory disease, but I suppose what we have to wonder is what could be causing that pelvic inflammatory disease in her. Could it be a sexually transmitted infection like chlamydia or gonorrhea? Or could it be a non-sexually transmitted infection? Generally speaking, pelvic inflammatory disease, until proven otherwise, is caused by a sexually transmitted infection. So all the swabs are labelled, sent off to the lab, and she also has some blood tests done for HIV and syphilis because this is protocol in our sexual health clinic. We don't normally wait for the results to come back. We immediately give her some treatment because she is very symptomatic. It's not even worth the risk of waiting to see what the swabs and, and things show. One rule of thumb in a sexual health setting is that if you are at risk of one sexually transmitted infection, you could be at risk of many other sexually transmitted infections. So just to be on the safe side, we give her the best treatment that we can give her in that setting. Thankfully she's hemodynamically stable, so we are safe enough to do that. We give her an IM injection of keftriaxone, which is a one milligram injection. And we also prescribe her um, doxycycline 100 milligrams twice a day, 14 days, as well as metronidazole 400 milligrams twice a day for 14 days. And those tablets are obviously she takes them away with her and she'll take them at home. She has her first doses with us. It's really important that we counsel her briefly before we bring her back. The main things I had to emphasise with her was that she should avoid um, having sex. I mean, for one, it won't be comfortable anyway. And secondly, she is at high risk of passing on whatever infection she has to her partner, etc. So we strongly advise abstaining but we also equally strongly advise that her regular male partner um, gets himself checked out and also starts empirical treatment whilst we await for these results. With sexually transmitted infections it's not good enough just treating one of the two partners or one of the many partners. You have to make sure that everybody is treated because if one person isn't treated what we find is that co-infection happens um, and repeated infection happens and this increases the risk of problems like pelvic inflammatory disease which to some extent perhaps the first event of pelvic inflammatory disease isn't that damaging especially when it's picked up quickly and treated but if you are to get recurrent pel pelvic inflammatory disease it has a significant impact on the life of the woman commonly could leave them with lifelong pelvic pain 
which is not treatable even with the best of analgesia. Secondly, psychological upset. As we know, for someone who I guess is committed to a marriage with a regular male partner of, of, of some years, could naturally be traumatised by the fact that not only have they just had a infection, but it's actually been so severe that it's caused pelvic inflammatory disease. And thirdly, uh, something that may not be what's so widely discussed is the ability for something like this to cause fertility issues in such patients. And we have to briefly touch on these things, but these are things that we can talk about when we ring the patient back uh, in three days' time. It's really important as well with uh, patients who are symptomatic to give them good safety netting advice. So I made sure that the patient knew that she was going to start feeling much better within about two days. Her symptoms to a great extent should be better enough for her to notice. And if she was going to start feeling worse, so for example, the discharge was increasing, she was starting to develop a fever, her appetite was reducing any more, then, or if her pain isn't being controlled with the analgesia, which at the moment ibuprofen is the best one for her, then she would need to go to her GP and either get referred to gynaecology or if it's really that bad that she'd need to go to A&E. So she comes back uh, three days later and, uh, you know, we sit down and, and bring up her results and, and everything like that. I'm fairly hopeful when I see the fact that she's actually arrived, that fingers crossed she should be fine. So go to the waiting room and I see her. She's much more perky than she was the last time I saw her. She seems to get up more comfortably to walk into the, the clinic room. She still takes her time, which is fine. Um, and we sit down and have a chat and I ask her, what do you think we're going to be talking about today? And she tells me, um, I'm pretty sure you're going to tell me that I've, I've got a sexually transmitted infection. And then I ask her why. And she tells me that she spoke to her husband after she'd been uh, for the previous appointment, who told her that about six months ago, uh, went abroad with his friends on a stag do, uh, of one of his friends. Um, he admitted to having an episode of penetrative vaginal and oral sex with an unknown female. He hadn't ever discussed this with her before. She was pretty upset about it, but she was equally keen to just get on with getting treated and making the decisions about her life that she had been reflecting on over the last three days. So I check her observations and her observations um, still show that she's hemodynamic stable. Her abdomen isn't anywhere near as tender as it was before but she does have some mild tenderness when I palpate in the suprapubic area. We bring up the results and discuss that indeed whatever she was thinking was true. She was chlamydia positive. She wasn't surprised but she was very keen on finding out what's the uh, long-term consequences of what she's up against and essentially we just reiterated the things that we spoke about three days ago in a bit more detail. She seemed fairly on board with it all, uh, was very keen to get herself up and running again but also make sure that her husband is treated as soon as possible too. So what we discussed was that he needed to come and see somebody before we could give the treatment. So we can't give it to the, to the patient to give it to their partner. The partner actually has to present um, and get themselves treated. And um, so he was coming later on that day. While she's at the review, we also have to discuss briefly contact tracing. Now, this is normally done by the health advisors. Um, but essentially their job is to make sure that all sexual partners that have been involved traced back to the last six months um, are identified and, if possible, and treated where appropriate. So in this instance, this patient has only had one regular male partner. However, there are many patients that come to the sexual health clinic where they will have had, had numerous sexual partners um, and each one of them needs to be identified and traced back 
it's normally done in a very kind of confidential, anonymous manner uh, to ensure compliance and, and basically good uptake. As you can imagine, in this situation, it wasn't too difficult because there's only one partner that needs to be identified, treated and, and, and checked. However, in some instances, there are uh, patients who've had so many, even in the last month, that sometimes they end up having to put a cut off somewhere near six partners because the list is just so exhaustive. But each centre will have their own protocol about this. One of the other bits of advice that we just have to re-emphasise um, is is that they abstain from having any form of sex until both partners, both parties are treated just to make sure there's no co-infection. So the patient seems happy with the information we've discussed. She has, she's tolerated the medication so far and she seems to be keen to complete her course of treatment. Now, we do arrange a courtesy call at two weeks' time just to make sure that she has actually completed the course of treatment without any problems and that her symptoms are better. So I book her in my diary, you know, in two weeks time, I give her a ring, which ends up being fine. She has completed the course of treatment without any issues and she is pretty much 99% back to her normal self again. So in summary, pelvic inflammatory disease is not a very common presentation in a sexual health clinic. However, patients are more likely to present with pelvic inflammatory disease in settings like um, general practice or even in A&E. However, sometimes they seem very clued up with what this could be and uh, what could be going on and they do present to a sexual health clinic. Until proven otherwise, the usual differential diagnosis causing pelvic inflammatory disease would be sexually transmitted infection. And in either a general practice setting or um, in a sexual health clinic setting, the priority is to make sure the patient is hemodynamically stable. If they are hemodynamically stable, then you are able to just manage them in the community with good safety netting advice. However, if they aren't hemodynamically stable, you should have a really low threshold to have them referred under gynaecology where they may need to have IV antibiotic treatment or send them to A&E if they're really unwell with an ambulance. So I hope you enjoyed the case I discussed today. It's a bit different. It's not usually a case um, we talk about openly. However, uh, pelvic pain is an incredibly common presentation with so many differentials and pelvic inflammatory disease is one of them. So thanks for having me, have a nice day and uh, feel free to send any questions or queries, comments after you've listened to this, um, anything that you would have liked to hear about um, and I'd be happy to do more.